Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Welcome to Move Left Idiots, a socialist talk podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montrulo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's happening? Uh, spring is on the way. Um, only only six more years of winter. Uh, we recorded last week. We had just gotten uh, like 18 inches of snow in one day on top of like the two feet we already had. So we, we had like almost like, uh, I'm not a math surgeon, Um but like 40 inches of snow, give or take, and on the right. streets it was piled up. And the last few days it's gotten up into the 40s. So all that snow was very rapidly melting. Uh, and I am the um, proud new owner of a water feature in my apartment now. Uh, I have a, a what you could call a, a luxurious cascading waterfall that's been trickling down oh, nice. uh, the corner of my kitchen, uh, partially in the wall and partially outside the wall. So it's kind of a you know, kind of in-out experience there. So uh, I notified the landlord. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I notified the landlord and, you know, kind of said, well, I look, you know, there's not much you can do right now until the whole thing is um, melted up there and you can go up there and retire the roof or whatever. And they they were just like, yep, let us know if it gets worse. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> I mean, it's just water. It's a, it's a fucking 80-year-old brick building. So it's, it's not right. it's going to hurt anything. But. Well, you know, it's great. It, the, the great thing about when water gets in your walls is it actually cleans them. It doesn't like grow mold or anything. You know, it's not a huge no. hazard down the line or anything like that. No, nothing like that. Um, so, um, yeah, but, you know, we got the alleyways here in Chicago where all the dumpsters <clears> and people park their cars and everything. And... For the last month, uh, they haven't been able to collect gar- the garbage because the dumpsters have been encased in ice. So we've had uh, just like mountains of garbage on top of the mountains of snow. And as the, all the snow is melting, you can see all the garbage that's been like trapped in the layers of different snowfall we've gotten. Uh, and I'm sure there's like some dead bodies in there, you know, and um, whatnot. But. Uh, you know, the, the rats will love it because now they can, you know, they don't have to burrow through the snow. They can just scurry across the pavement once again. You can actually right. see the pavement now back there. So, uh, yeah, winter is waning. Yeah, it's like 50, it, to here it's 50 degrees today, which is incredible. I actually went outside like without a jacket on with the t-shirt on just to, just to breathe outside like decently warm air. I was like, wow, this is, yeah. uh, this yeah. is fucking awesome. But and you know, you know what you have to look forward to now is seasonal pollen allergies. Right. All right. Can't wait. Yes. Can't wait. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, um, I had one other just... little quick update oh, before yeah. we jump into it. Uh, I, I know that we, you know, I, I had previously mentioned how um, you know after we did the the review on our podcast for the Good Lord Bird series with uh, Ethan Hawke, based on the novel by James McBride, I had encouraged my mother to read it, which she did. She loved it. And then I said, hey, what do you, uh, what do you think about recommending it to your, your book club? And uh, she um, 
she said, yeah, I don't know if they'd like it because they're all like old white people, right? And it's right. pretty pretty radical liberals. book. Um, and they had never read a book by written by a black person before either, which kind of spoke to their <laughs> like <laughs> the, the the tone of of the group. So, right. Uh, but she pitched it and they loved it and they read it. And then since we recorded last, uh, they they had their meeting where they all discussed it, and mom kind of ran the meeting and. You know, she was a, she was a teacher, so she kind of is used to kind of like, uh, you know, running things as a teacher, right. right? So she's got like questions prepared for everybody, like, oh, what did you think about? And everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. Um, the the only complaint, and I I assume this was a complaint because the way she phrased it made it sound like people had some reservations about the the beginning of the story, where John Brown's like fighting these wannabe slave owners out in Kansas and chopping people's heads off and. Bullets are, you know, ricocheting and everything. And somebody, somebody apparently complained that they didn't like it because it seemed too much like the Wild West. <laughs> and I was like, actually, no, she said, she said it was too much like the Wild Wild West. And I was like, the Will Smith song, like, is that <laughs> um, and so no, I was, I was like, mom, do you, did they realize this is that these things actually happened? <laughs> right. And in the in Ugh. the year. In the year 1855, Kansas was the wild, wild west. <laughs> like, what? Right. Like, well, to couldn't quote, they have to downplayed quote. it and make it a little more palatable? Couldn't they have kind of disnified it for me and, you know, well, you know west, that kind of thing? To, qu- to quote friend of the show, Pete Buttigieg, uh, John Brown was a pretty brutal guy, so <laughs> I, can, I can understand their trepidation. But yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, I mean eventually I want to read the book, but and, but they did all want to watch the show. They did all were like, "Oh, oh they didn't watch yeah. this thing." It's great. And I was so I was great. like, "Well, how many of these people actually have Showtime? Probably not many, but hopefully they can find it on YouTube, you know." Uh, right, or pirate it or whatever. Um, but no, but yeah, and and for anyone that didn't watch that show or didn't hear our review of that who did watch that show, I, go back and check out our review. Watch that show. It is it, it really is incredible. Like it's one of the best prestige drama, you know, miniseries, shows, movies, like, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it that I've seen in a long time. Uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of popping up. He's popping up in the news again, Ethan Hawke, I guess probably cause it's like Emmy, you know, uh, campaign season. Cause that's what this is one right. of the networks. And, and it really got like no fucking love whatsoever when it came out, because like you said, rather than kind of reckon with some of the more, significant themes of the show i feel like it a lot of people found it easier to just ignore it and not talk about it because it's not something you're going to give a bad review to and they delayed it twice and i don't know if the network execs were like oh this is too topical to what's going on right now with police murdering black people uh unarmed for no reason like really you think that's not a good time to tie in the story (laughs) john brown and Oh, uh, man, so well, we don't want to. We don't want to give anybody any ideas. Like, really, it's you're worried about that. Okay. Anyway, right. I also just um, picked up. Uh, a, a, so Ethan Hawke actually did a comic. Um, it was like a few years ago. Uh, it's called In- Inde, I think I I N D E H, and it's about the Apache Wars from the uh, uh, Apache. Well, I you know, and I, I I don't know the correct term, but that's like the Americanized term for for the tribe. But from their perspective, so it's actually an interest. It, it seems like it's gonna be a really interesting read. Uh, and he's always kind of been interested in stuff like that, and and you know, the 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 struggle of of people when they come up up against Western whites and, and you know who just want to colonize colonize them and yeah. take their land and use them as labor and et cetera et cetera. So I, I, he's always been interested in highlighting well, things like that. 
one thing I didn't know, this was the first time Ethan Hawke had ever done a TV series. Right. And, and you could argue that like a, you know, a, a six episode prestige limited run is hardly a TV show, but you know, he he was so unfamiliar with doing TV that like it didn't even occur to him to do it like this. He was still thinking like a 2-hour movie. And his right. wife was like, "You don't have to fucking make a two-hour movie. You can fucking make this as however long you want to." And he's like, like "A six-hour oh, yeah, movie, I guess I can." Yeah, yeah. And, and every episode is unique and has its own tone. And you know, even if you binge it, you'll remember the distinct episodes where, you know, most other series like Stranger Things, when you binge a show like that, like you don't remember individual episodes except for that one that sucked. <laughs> but most of the rest <laughs> of the show, it's just like it's it all bleeds together, right? And people right. complain about like you know Disney Plus putting out one episode a week of their shows. Uh, and you know, I want to watch the whole thing. It's like, but the, the, now you have time to think about it and talk about it and watch 50,000 YouTubers analyze every single frame of the thing for clues. And it's a way more, you know, you get to look forward to it. Right. What's the fun in binging a whole show? But, you know, th- this is this is very different from that, where you watch it and you're like, I have to keep watching this. This is This is just the most compelling, amazing thing. Um, the right. music, the acting, uh, d- the fact that they don't try to tone down John Brown um, from who he was. If anything, they you know the opening scene where he chops off some people's heads. They they don't give you enough context to appreciate why he did that, and they kind of they kind of if anything make him up to be more of a madman than he was. Which in reality he was very calculating about what he did and when he used violence and in what measure. Right. And th- and they eventually go into that a lot more. And I think you can show you that side of him. But like, w- w- yeah, when you meet him on the series, it, it just seems like, you know, wild, wild old man, John Brown, you know, the way that we the way he's always been kind of portrayed, uh, it, you know, it, it, in the in as much as we ever learn about him in, in, you know, the American education system, it's like, oh, he's this crazy old guy and he tried to free a bunch of slaves and he's he's mm-hmm. nuts and he, you know. If you learn about him at all, which you know, I don't think right. I did in, in high school, in high school or middle school. You had to have been, you had to go to school in Kansas because they totally own him in Kansas because they don't have much else going on as a state. <laughs> right, you know? right, right. So there, there's that that amazing epic mural in the uh, Kansas State Capitol of John Brown, which just like his hair looks like it's you know like Moses blowing back, and there's a tornado <laughs> behind. There's a fucking tornado behind him, That's and he's awesome. like staying there with a with a rifle and a Bible. <laughs> And it's just right. this most amazing, like, you get, Google it. It's just one of the most amazing depictions of a historical figure. And it's in their Capitol building. <laughs> it's, wow. like, in the rotunda. That's awesome. So uh, the state of Kansas has, has very much embraced um, the, the lunatic madman John Brown. <laughs> well, yeah, so let's, let's get into the news of today. Yes. Um, because there's, there's a lot to go into. But obviously, you know, last week we talked about near attendance, uh appointment to omb and uh upcoming vote and then we actually thought like you know this is this is fucking this sucks like every she's gonna get confirmed bernie's gonna fucking you know is gonna be the pull the reek again and fucking you know vote for her vote to confirm the person that did more to slander him and his supporters than maybe anybody else in the fucking democratic media sphere in 2016 and 2020 um but it looks like his good friend Joe Manchin actually saved him from having to do that because uh, Joe Manchin came out and said he will not vote for Near Tan in his own beach chair. That's for stupid reasons because she like insult the Republicans online. You know, it was, it was his reasoning and she was a divisive pick. Um, but we'll fucking take it. I mean, she's a scumbag. She has no business being in any kind of position of power. I, I don't know about you. I just found out recently, like people, I, I didn't realize that the OMB office 
grants ethics waivers. They can grant ethics waivers to almost anybody. Like that's that's like the one of the the chief kind of functions of, of OMB. So it's like I mean, she's perfect because she waived all of her own ethics uh, you know, the, <laughs> right. decades ago to have a career. But that's um, why they're fighting so hard for her cuz she they know she has no ethics whatsoever. So she'll gladly waive any fucking, you know, kind of ethics clauses to to, you know, give people contracts and give like it just yeah, so uh, so so he came out and said he wouldn't vote for her. So Joe Biden never won to fucking give in when it's the uh, you know pressure perceived pressure from the left. Although they're still painting this as like, oh well, we can't withdraw her because progressives will be mad. <sighs> yeah, I mean it, it's it's preposterous, but uh, you know they they did go out and try to get uh, Republican votes and and Romney and Murkowski and everyone said no because again she's you know. She's so toxic that she shit on basically everyone in the Republican Party as well. So uh, they don't want to fucking vote for her. So they're going to have to fucking they're going to have to roll back her nomination. And uh, they I think today they 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 rescheduled or, or moved her her one of her confirmation votes, one of the kind of chair votes, which is like the smaller vote to get to the bigger vote, you know, later. Um, but the reason they do that is so that she has time to withdraw her nomination in you know save face but i you know she should be happy because this is this is exact she gets to be just like her idol she gets to fuck herself out of a powerful position purely because she's so hateful and vindictive that she makes it untenable to vote for her for enough people to vote for her so she's just like hillary and this is the thing is is like the all these people as much as they pretend to be opposed to each other Behind the closed doors, or you know, when they're just you know, think no one's looking and they fist bump each other, they all have to like each other. Like they all like are people that are very agreeable to other people in power. And right. if if the people who are in power just don't like you as a person, that's the thing that that matters more than anything. <laughs> they're just they just like no, we don't fucking like her, right? Right. right. And. It, so this is all music to my ears, and this is so much so that when I told my mom about this, she's like, oh, yeah, I saw this on the news. I figured you'd be really happy about it. I'm like, <laughs> not only does my mom finally know who Nira Tandon is, but she knows enough about her now to know why I hate her. She right. like, it, it finally got to her from like other sources, so she remembered it, right? But to to see all the all the progressives suddenly go to bat for her... Um, people like Jenk Unger, who... This is, this is hilarious, the way he... like. When when you can tell that somebody is gonna say a thing, and there's gonna be a but coming in right. like the first two two words, so there's the first just this starts off. I'm not a fan of Nero Tandon. Okay, so you know the butts already coming. You know that Jenk right. Unger is gonna, and you know he's gonna say some gaslighty shit where he pretends not to understand what the, the point is. Right. I'm not a fan of Nero Tandon. In fact, she did some of her mean tweets about me. But unlike, there you go, there's the but, but unlike Republicans, I don't think we should cancel her because she once hurt somebody's feelings. The hypocrisy of the GOP crying over cancel culture and then trying to cancel her over tweets is amazing. That's nobody, nobody gives a shit about her tweets. Nobody cares about her tweets. Nobody. Right. Literally nobody. Yeah. for, For him to pretend like, oh, this is cancel culture. Really? Are you Brett Kavanaugh now? <laughs> like, is, well, so you I don't mean, you don't get to have the job you wanted because people don't like you? That's cancel culture. 
Right. She's she's a toxic, horrendous person who advocated for horrible policies like stealing fucking Libya's oil after, you know, her fucking queen, uh, you know, overthrew their government, you know, set up and helped fucking stage a coup in Libya. Uh, She's fucking just she's she's such an atrocious person. She has no qualms whatsoever about taking money from the worst people in the world. Fucking Israel, Saudi Arabia, UAE, any fucking atrocious actor on the world stage you can imagine. And then giving them favor. She redacted a fucking uh a report that CAP, you know, Center for American Progress, the the organization that she was the president of, put out about how insanely racist and Islamophobic Michael Bloomberg's um, NYPD was under his under his watch when he was mayor. Um, she removed it because he complained about it after he had donated one point two million dollars to CAP, uh, and and had since donated like multiple million dollars after they removed that that. Uh, the r- report that they put together. She's a terrible, unethical, disgusting cr- swamp creature um, who has no business being in any position of power in Washington. So yeah, for Jenk to, I don't know so, what so is fucking with yeah. that. With that caveat, you know what? What a terrible, awful person she is that uh, is despised by the left and the right. Uh, of course, you would expect a progressive political action committee like uh, the Justice Democrats to also oppose her, right? Right. Well, let's let's hear from the founder of the Justice Democrats uh, and uh, see what I don't they. Know if she's the founder. She is the executive director, though. Oh, right, right. No, but she was one of the one of the one early. Of the right, right, right. Uh, let's see, who's now a contributor on CNN, of course. Uh, let's bring in our panel, uh, Alexandra Rojas. Uh, this would be Biden's first defeat, uh, and obviously um, a defeat for Neera Tandon personally because of a bunch of tweets she's done uh, that were rather harsh. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's there's public record of, of those tweets, but the reality is I think that Joe Manchin is the one being divisive right now. We are in the middle of a public pandemic. Joe Biden was just elected by a huge mandate uh, by the American people. We have to deliver as Democrats, and we need people in positions of power who are ready and prepared to go big in this moment and not leave anyone behind. The mentality has got to be of the Democratic Party especially, uh, but any elected official, that we have to move quickly to save as many lives as possible. Uh, And I would also point out that he had no problem voting to confirm uh, other appointments of clearly uh, partisan members uh, when it was the previous Republican administration. There should be no, I think, opposition to, to some, you know, folks that are being proposed by the Biden administration who have, you know, clearly are ready to do the work and are ready to get the job done and they feel are the best prepared to do it. And Mary Catherine, I mean, it needs to be pointed out. She can't even, she can't even string together a defense. She's just like, that really looked like a hostage video. Like, what are she you doing? She didn't mention Neera Tandon once. She didn't talk <laughs> didn't about Neera Tandon's that. record. She didn't talk about her as a person. She uh. didn't talk, all she said was, we need to confirm people who are ready to uh, go big. Like I'm amazed she wasn't contractually required to say build back better. <laughs> like uh, you notice how like they all like everyone has to fucking use that stupid idiotic phrase. Like even Deb Halland, uh, the the uh, interior nominee, I know, I even know. she's she using that shit. Now. 
the only good one who they who they'll probably oppose for her you know actual good things that she Joe Manchin had. is already like saying he's not crazy about her and he might not vote for her. So yeah, they might actually shoot down the only good fucking the cabinet nominee that Biden put up so far mm-hmm. would, would be the first indigenous woman to actually be the secretary. I think to serve in a cabinet at all, but certainly to be the the secretary of the interior um, yeah. for the for the U.S. But but again, listen to her defense. Her defense isn't that Neera Tannen is qualified. Or that she actually has progressive uh, policy goals or ambitions in mind. Her her only defense is, well, the Republicans are being hypocritical because they supported people who were also divisive and said terrible things and are terrible people. So why aren't we allowed to also confirm people that are divisive and said shitty things and are terrible? Like why can't you know? It's literally it's like they're not even they're not even saying better you know you know lesser of two evils. They're saying like we want to have our evil person too. Well, Joe right. Biden won. You know, he won fair. Like, what are they doing? Like, this is this is the shit that you you sound like clowns when you defend the fucking Justice Democrats. Now, this is the shit that the yeah. fucking president of the or the one of the whatever the fuck she is right now of the Justice Democrats is saying. Executive director. Executive director. Excuse me. In fucking public on television, that's the that's the face of the Justice Democrats right now. That's. This is this is clown shit. I mean, and again, this is why you know you yell when people yell at us for criticizing AOC or Ilhan or any of the the squad or you know or the like. This is the shit that they're doing with their fucking power. They just wanted fucking power. Like that's at the end of the day, if you get into fucking power and you turn into a cheerleader for the Democrats and you're doing fucking nothing, you're doing less than nothing because you're stifling any kind of oppositional energy on the left to remove the shitty Democrats from power and put actual leftists in those seats. You're just fucking co-opting them and sheepdogging them into the party. So this is the kind of shit that we're getting now from people like TYT and from AOC and from the justice Democrats. And you know, so the, uh, the, the big thing that I have is, is like, I don't care about her tweets. She's a terrible person, but I care about her, her past and her policy. But you know, what, what is her experience to run the, the white house's office of budget stuff, you know, cause she ran Kappa as basically just being a bundler to, to right. raise tons of money for the Clintons. What experience does she have? So I've noticed in the last few days that other reports have come out uh, in the mainstream news, The Hill and Politico, of other people who are whose names are being floated around who could be potentially uh, take yeah. her place as a nominee. And one is the woman who's currently, who just was uh, confirmed to be the, the deputy uh, head of that office, who has like 14 years experience with that department. And it's like, why wouldn't you automatically pick somebody that, that actually has an experience? This woman, I, I mean, it was like uh, Shonda Young, I believe, black woman, um, doesn't doesn't even have a Twitter account. So like, <laughs> no, li- no liability there as far as that's concerned. But again, yeah, this is just cronyism where they're, they're throwing this position of somebody with no experience purely because she was loyal and raised a shitload of money for the right wing of the Democratic Party. The, the entire, yeah, Biden's entire cabinet is cronyism. I mean, the fucking, you know, the, he put Martha Fudge wanted to be, I think, the secretary of agriculture, uh, happened to be black. He makes her the head of HUD. Again, just total Republican move. Oh, she's black. Put her in that, in charge of housing and urban development. She's like, I don't fucking know anything about, like, what do you, no, that's not my, not my area. So, you know, again, this is what, and then of course, you know, people like Pete Buttigieg fucking, you know, we, we talked about his, you know, his policies he's, he's espousing some good policies, but again, yeah, no experience in transportation. It's just a favor for fucking, you know, one of the, one of the shivs, one of the night's watch shiving, you know, 
the Bernie Sanders in the back, um, that's his reward. Yeah, he, he, he gets got a transport secretary for, for falling on a very short sword because he's not that tall. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that was his reward. Um, right. It, I, I mean, I, th- I honestly think that, like, nobody should be allowed to run hmm. the uh, the transportation department who hasn't been a mayor. Um, but, yeah, still, everyone's just like, they're, even amongst transportation planning people, who I know quite a few of, they were like, uh, okay, he's okay, but, like, there's a million other people that have way more experience. Like, the, right. the, the woman who was the uh, former head of transportation for New York City who was responsible for, you know, bringing their bicycle network into the 21st century, and it has been lobbying heavily uh, to get more funding to fix the subways. Of course, Cuomo has, uh, you know, basically that money tied up. Right. But yeah, no, it, it should be somebody who has a way more experience in, um, you know, being on the ground running a, a department like that. And, uh, you know, Buttigieg doesn't really have it. I'm glad he's on the right side of the issues, and hopefully that makes a difference. But, I mean, honestly, he's... He, you know, the, the head of a department like that, they they get the giant scissors and cut ribbons and make speeches. <laughs> right, like, that's right. all they do. You right, know? right. But but again, but again, it's just a broader point about like Biden has no concerns whatsoever with effectively running a government. He just wants to give favors to all the people that he needs to give favors to because he's his entire career he's been a he's been a, a fucking corporate whore. Like he said it himself. There's that famous like interview or speech with him in the seventies where he's like, look, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll prostitute myself to any company that wants to, to give, like he was saying it jokingly, but he wasn't kidding. Like you'd like anyone that wants to give me a campaign contribution, I'm going to listen to them. Like I, you know, that that's, that's, he literally said that, you know, saying the quiet part out loud in the seventies and he's lived his entire life that way. I mean, he was known as the, senators, the people in the Senate, his colleagues used to call him the Senator from MBNA. Uh, when he was the senator in Delaware, because MBNA is a credit card company headquartered mm. in Delaware, who gave him a ton of fucking money, and he completely did their bidding, and that's a large part of the reason why you can't declare bankruptcy on student loans, and why you fucking credit card debts impossible to get rid of, and et cetera, et cetera. His fucking atrocious bankruptcy bill that he that he authored. Um, well, it's. I mean, we do need somebody who's friendly with corporations because uh, you know I, I you know how much I love waking up to headlines like this. First on CNN, Biden's COVID plan gets backing from more than 150 top business leaders. Oh, I good. Love how they, I love how they put first on CNN in the title of the article. <laughs> as, it, like, as though it's the crawler on their fucking TV show. Like, no, it, it doesn't say, like, exclusive, da-da-da-da-da. It says, first on CNN, colon, Biden's COVID plan. Like that? What do you? That's not I, wonder part of the how the, title. I wonder how the independent renegade reporters at CNN man should get that scoop. I'm sure it wasn't, oh wasn't fed to them by the parent company, one of the six companies that fucking exists in this country that right. runs everything. So then, like, tell me if you think this is this article. I'm going to read just a little <clears throat> bit of it here. Sure. Tell me if you think this. Well, let me just read it, and I'll notice what's never mentioned here. Uh, more than 150 senior executives from some of America's largest companies across several major industries have lined up behind President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package, according to a letter obtained by CNN. I wonder how they obtained that. Uh, <laughs> wasn't it by hacking? Right. Uh, the group of executives include the top executives representing some of the most powerful business interests in the U.S., ranging from bank and investment firms like Goldman Sachs and Blackstone to technology companies like Google, Intel, and IBM. I didn't even know IBM existed still. Right. Um, <laughs> a little note on that, too. Radio Shack was trending last night on Twitter very late, and I was like, hmm, 
did Radio Shack finally Probably die? Probably Reddit boosting their stock or it, some shit. It, right. And it was a bunch of people like, wow, it was it was some other company that had gone under, and they were talking like Blockbuster, uh, you know, Radio Shack, and now this place. And I was like, this is kind of like the Mandela effect of, of you know, like analog <laughs> retailers, because everyone thinks that Radio Shack went out of business like 20 years ago, and they haven't. I looked it there's, up. There's they, still Radio, a few of them. Like No, Radio Shack has over 500 locations across the U.S. That's like wow, one wow. in every single town. <laughs> there's Radio Shack. And everyone's like, like oh, it's, it, literally, I, I thought Nelson Mandela was already dead. Oh, no, he's not right. dead? Oh, okay, but, okay. But I forgot that By Sean way, Connery just, died <laughs> the other day. I was like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that too. Real quick side note, there's a really good documentary that I just watched the other day. It's called The Last Blockbuster, um, and it's actually about the last – there is one blockbuster left in the world, mm-hmm. in the U.S. In, uh, the only one. Right, in Bend, Oregon. Um, yeah. And it, it's it's really – it's cool. It's like, I, you know, if, if you have nostalgia for, like, going to a place – and looking through fucking like aisles of, of movies and like, oh, is there a fucking tape behind that? Oh, damn, it's out. Like, the, the, it, you should watch this documentary. <laughs> what a thrill like, that I've been living without. Oh, right. Yeah, but I, I missed that a little bit. You know, it was nice. It was like you fucking like early, yeah. like fi- five o'clock Friday, you hit the blockbuster, and, you pick up three yeah, movies. I mean, now you're forced to sit there and like, hey, I wonder if anything is good on Netflix. And you type in the name of a movie and like it literally will tell you like, hey, we know you wanted that movie, but we don't have anything good. There's <laughs> 15 shitty movies that are, we're inspired by. <laughs> like right. they flat out are admitting that we know right. we don't have anything good. Um, so it's really it's run like a mom and pop it's really fun like they have to keep buying the license from blockbuster from the company that owns blockbuster to like keep the name it's fun it's a fun little documentary but anyway yeah keep going (laughs) uh so where was i um uh, so in the u.s ranging from bank and fuck lost my place um, da, 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 da. Okay, let me just start the paragraph over again. Uh, uh, so the group of executives include top executives. That doesn't. You can't use the same word within five. That doesn't. Pick a different word. Right. Anyway, the group of let's say the CEOs. The group of CEOs includes top executives representing some of the most powerful business interests in the U.S., ranging from bank and investment firms like Goldman Sachs of Blackstone to technology companies like Google, Intel, and IBM to hospita- uh, hospitality companies. Fuck. Like Lowe's Hotels and Company, I don't know. It's not. It's like Lowe's, like the hardware store, but they flip the vowels. Yeah, so. right. Whoever, uh, and airlines, including American and United, top executives from real estate insurance and utility firms, also signed onto the letter. So I read the rest of the article, um, and nowhere in the article does it mention if we're going to get our two thousand dollars survival checks in this one point <laughs> nine trillion dollar. So you can almost guarantee that we're gonna that that's going to be cut out somehow. Uh, yeah. To get the support of all you know, one hundred. T- where where is like two trillion dollars t- going? Where is it going? Right. It's, it's going to go to subsidizing those corporations. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, it, it's just fucking laughable how 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 brazen they're already being with their fucking their their corporate giveaways. And again, you know, we're, the Biden's like already told a bunch of mayors privately. Um, that the $15 minimum wage is probably not going to be included in the final bill, even though Bernie Sanders is working as hard as he possibly can to get it included in the final bill. Uh, a bunch of the fucking shit, you know, mansion people like that are going to probably oppose it. Uh, Mitt Romney and uh, Tom Cotton, though, came out with their their plan to raise the wages, which is a uh, $10 minimum wage 
within the next five years. <laughs> so <laughs> so in twenty twenty five, the minimum wage will be ten dollars if Mitt Romney's playing, which I guarantee you Biden's gonna be like, Oh great, it's bipartisan. We raised the wage, but the Republicans like it. So uh let's throw that in there. Um so yeah. Right. Well it, it has to be bipartisan because, you know, we have a majority and you don't want to squander that by just ramming it through uh, when you don't actually need any Republican votes, like right. that would that wouldn't make any sense. You know, people are, v- are very likely to vote for them when you when you promise to give them less money. That's l- little known fact, but, our, but Joe Biden does in fact know that it's better to better to get bipartisan support for less money than to just ram something through to give the American people more money. Uh, that that definitely makes people want to want to vote for you. Um, yeah. So this, I mean, it's atrocious, and it, it it's it, every day it grows more laughable that they're trying to pass this fucking this this ruse off of two thousand equals fourteen hundred plus six hundred dollars that Trump gave us because by the time we get it, it'll be separated by like three or four months of fucking bills. Like the the idea that somehow this is a two thousand dollar check because Trump gave us a fucking six hundred dollar check three months prior to that check is is so fucking insulting to our intelligence right. and is guaranteed to lose them the fucking midterms in twenty twenty two. Like it's just guaranteed because which, which of course they want they want that and then right, they can of send course. out more you know moveon dot org can send me more text messages uh, asking for money. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's. <laughs> It's just, uh, you know, and and yesterday they had a uh, a candlelight vigil for the five hundred thousand Americans who have died of COVID. Remember when they were calling for they were like Trump murdered two hundred thousand right uh, Americans right, and now we've like doubled that in the last two months. <laughs> like, well, you know, he didn't have comforting words about it. Though. I mean, that's look at the end of the day, liberals only care about being comforted. They don't care about the American empire operating the same disgusting, atrocious way that it always has killing people indiscriminately abroad, killing civilians, crushing people domestically, just fucking forcing people to, you know, uh, live on the streets because they, they just, every institution in this country is designed to suck money out of working people and funnel it to the rich. Um, they don't care about any of that as long as the president doesn't say mean things on Twitter and right. comforts them in their times of, 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 you know, concern. And like, literally he's doing the exact same thing Trump did reopen the schools, you know, give people a measly stimulus. Don't do anything fucking else. Reopen the restaurants. But you know, uh, wear a mask people. That's the only difference. And and he's lighting candles. Like that's literally the only difference. Do you remember in December when Donald Trump was going to hold up the entire budget of the nation <laughs> over us not getting those $2,000 checks? And then people right. were like, how dare he? And then he was right. like, all right, fine. Fuck it. I'm out of here. And I was right. like, I, I made memes about like, you know, Trump having a soul and a conscience and Joe Biden, you know, just basically saying like, you know, fuck it. Um, <clears throat> but you remember last week when I was talking about the Chicago Tribune editorial board putting out this op-ed saying that uh, it's not clear if Americans need another round of stimulus payments? <laughs> right. We're fine. Yeah, hang on to that. I appreciate it, but we're fine. We don't need one. I for- yeah, I forgot part of that. Now, the, the funniest part is that the, the Tribune newspaper, Chicago Tribune, is being sued for $5 million in unpaid rent. So, like, literally, they're not doing good either. And they're actually going to have to move out of their current downtown headquarters and move their offices to their printing facility, which I can't believe even still have one. Um, but apparently the rent's cheaper across the other side of the river. Um, so, like, they're downsizing. They're about to be bought by this hedge firm that is known for, like, buying up newspapers and just, like, chopping them in half as far as the staffing. 
uh, and but that that line in their op-ed, it's not clear that Americans need another round of stimulus payments in the amount of fourteen hundred dollars per person on top of this six hundred dollars already improved in December, plus the four, the twelve hundred dollars in spring. It's it's literally like the Arrested Development meme of you know the 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 mother who like doesn't know how much anything costs. Like how much could three months rent be? Four hundred dollars. Like <laughs> right. just when you're when you're so rich, you have no concept of what is or is not a lot of money. It's six months so, yeah. of utilities, Michael. What could it cost? Like six hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever, whatever it is. But right. so there, it's not clear if Americans need a, more help. Um, now, the part that I forgot to mention was a, was a fact um, that uh, the, <clears throat> the number of Americans who have lost their health care just since the start of the pandemic last spring. Is fourteen million six hundred thousand? Wow, wow! On top of the already twenty-eight million, I think was the number that don't have health care at all in this country. Um, wow, yeah, that's def- well. You know what? Don't don't, don't worry. Joe Biden's going to come through with a subsidy for Cobra. So instead of paying nine hundred dollars a month for insurance, you only have to pay five hundred dollars a month for insurance, which you can pay with your salary. Oh wait, you don't have a job because you were fired because of the pandemic. Huh. Well, uh, you know, you want you dip into your your massive savings account that everyone has in America. That's that's right. how you can pay for your health insurance that you probably <clears throat> won't even use, right. unless so you get the deadly pandemic after, that the government's not protecting you from. After you get your COVID vaccine shot and you uh, are you know signing out with reception at the doctor's office and they give you a bill for it, you can just say, I, "I've got this Pell Grant." Will you accept that? <laughs> no, no. Okay. Right. 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 You know, just, just take it out of my rent. Fuck. I just, I don't know what is going to fucking need to happen to wake people up to the way the system is fucking designed. Like, well, but and, it's getting and again, warm out. It's getting warm out, and people are going to be back in the streets pretty soon. Somebody, somebody was actually, you know, talking about the the Capitol riots and said, you know, you know, nobody's out there rioting for Medicare for all. And I, I, I was like looking around, like, uh, yeah, no shit. Like, why aren't we? Right, <laughs> That's right. a good idea. <laughs> Um, well, and, I'm going to break, and... break another window every hour until I get healthcare. <laughs> execute another storefront. Right. If Batman doesn't reveal himself in the next 24 <laughs> minutes, I'm going to break another window. Um, no. So another it... Dunkin' Donuts will be lit ablaze every, t- every every ten minutes that I until Medicare for All is approved in the Congress. We're going to break another fucking Citibank window. Um, so and but you know and speaking to the point of you know liberals just want to be comforted with the fucking this week again Biden uh, reopened uh, it, it's his the first the first migrant detention facility he reopened um, at the border and it's a child and it's a it's mm-hmm. a it's for children exclusively for children. Um, but but Jen Psaki, Jen Psaki, you make it sound like the like the McDonald's that has like a fun playland thing inside, you know? <laughs> right, the McDonald's play place at the border. Um, but again, no, don't don't say kids in cages. This isn't kids in cages. This is this is uh, unaccompanied minors in a uh, in a migrant detention facility. It's the fucking same. It's literally the same facility that Trump was using. They literally repainted it and gave it like a fucking. Like a like a flip your house upgrade to make it look a little no, nicer. Literally, they just they changed it from the you know the name on the sign from DHS to HHS. So now it's the <laughs> Health and Human Services, not the Department right. of Homeland Security. So yeah, I watched um, our our White House press secretary. What's her name? Uh, Jen Saki. Saki Saki Pasaki. No one can yeah. decide how to say her name. 
she had she had to like struggle through this press conference because it, it, the, the the reporters were feisty to say the least. Right, right. Um, Which I was surprised by, but yeah, that was great. Yeah, yeah, and they both basically were saying, well, like Kamala Harris, you know, just a couple months ago said this is a human rights crisis. Like, how is it not a human rights crisis now? And she's like, oh, well, we agree it was then, but you know, we. <laughs> so her argument, or the argument they were making, is that you know, due to you know, a, a sort of a surge in the amount of people coming to the border because they were like, hey, Joe Biden's going to let us in. And they've all said, like, now's not the time to come here. We haven't figured out how to take care of you all. Um, but that said, like, their policy is to not turn away unaccompanied minors because that's, like, just on a on a basic level of human rights, like, you, you've, so it's a child. Somebody under 18, you can't, you know, they're basically, like, you have to care for them as right. a ward of the state, if they just show up or are apprehended or whatever. And, you know, you can't, there was a, um, there was a guy on, uh, God, what show was that? I don't even remember what I was watching yesterday, who was on. They basically said, like, well, they're coming here because they have other family here. Just turn them over to whoever they right. want to be turned over to. Now, okay, but that, you, you have to confirm that, right? And that does take some time. It's, it's like, when you try to adopt a child in this country um that, that there is a process there and it, it's not a quick process they have to they can't just turn over a kid whether they're a u.s citizen or not to just anybody it doesn't work that way right and if you only have so many people to process those claims of those cases and there's more and more people showing up like you can't just say okay you're all free to do whatever that being said though you know you also have covid so you have more people showing up to make sure they're not packed together. They had to open up this this other facility. Um, but still, if you are not free to go, that's a jail. Right. That's a jail, no matter what. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And they don't want to keep kids there any longer than they have to. And they are letting kids into the country undocumented and stay with other family members. They are doing that once they can actually process them. But, you know, like when I, when I worked at the Department of State... I would have people call in all the time who were, you know, in the process of uh, attempting to adopt a child who also wanted to apply for a passport for the child to take that child out of the country when they were not their legal guardian. And it's like, uh, no, we can't let you do that. <laughs> do that right? You're not that kid's guardian. And if you're not that kid's legal guardian, you can't take them outside the United States. Like there's just like, some basic things that are designed to prevent child abduction that you can't just turn a kid over to a random person. And there are part of those things, you know, in verifying family relations are things like DNA tests and those take, can take, you know, weeks to get back in some cases. Um, but in a lot of times that that's like, that's all it comes down to is like interviewing somebody, interviewing the right. person, but, scheduling yeah. all that kind of stuff. It does take some time. So uh, as far as separating kids from their actual parents, I I hope we're not still doing that. I've been told that we're not still doing that um, because that is that really is kidnapping at that point, right? But I mean, who you know, who the fuck knows if we are still doing that or not? But but no, and, and again, but then funnel your resources towards that. Funnel your resources towards building a mass facility that that would would do rapid fucking DNA testing and rapid 
uh, research to figure out, you know, who these who these kids are going. Because nine times out of ten, like you said, they are going there to meet their fucking uncle or their aunt or their what or their parents in a lot of cases that are actually right. already in the U.S. Like that's well, a lot or, of the times or when they happening. say unaccompanied, that's that's a little misleading because they almost right. are never un- unaccompanied. It's just they go there with a group of people who they're not related to, you know, or they have not confirmed are their actual parents. It might be another relative, but they don't have documentation that they're, you know, relatives because right. usually there's not documentation of any familial relationship other than parent and, and child. Um, you know, you don't have like a certificate saying like, oh yeah, it's right. my uncle. That, right. that exactly. doesn't, just doesn't exist. Right. Uh, but you know, in, in, you know, in, in Latin American communities, like the, the idea that your, your uncles and aunts and grandparents take it, like the, the family unit is much, much larger. Right. And then you right. get here and it's like, we don't, our government doesn't really recognize any of that. <laughs> <laughs> as right as a and legal they, get, they certainly kind of get separated from those people if they're being put in these facilities you know a quote-unquote unaccompanied like if they're, right. if they're so in that sense yeah i guess we are still doing family separation if we're taking all the minors and putting them over here and their aunts and uncles are put over there then yeah that is still family separation right. so what the fuck and, and none of this gets to the, the the larger point that borders are fucking stupid to begin with but that's a whole not you know again that's a whole oh. other two-hour discussion but um but and again you know and and all that is is fine and good and it is a nuanced issue but don't fucking bullshit us and act like you're doing anything di- like like this is not the exact same facility that trump was using and that these aren't cages because they happen to be you know made of cinder block instead of... Fe- I mean, this is exactly like the fucking... I can't remember who it was. I think it was like an ex-Obama aide or speechwriter or some shit who was trying to... Remember that guy who was trying to make the thing of like, oh, well, you know, Trump's, Trump is keeping kids in cages, but Obama, who built those facilities, they were... They weren't cages. They those were open air walls, so that there was better airflow in the facility. It was literally like <laughs> the most fucking absurd, uh, you know, justification possible for trying to say this facility and this facility, even though they're the same facility, uh, are are totally different. When when you know there's a there's a blue guy in the fucking White House, like yeah. Well, she uh, she made a point that this is a uh, mainly a tent facility, so they're. <laughs> You know, they're they're in an open air tent, which is nice. You get a nice breeze coming through. It's warm. It's the desert and everything. But you know, we you just don't pay attention to the fence with the uh, razor wire that's about right, forty right. feet past that. Um, yeah, it's not no, a prison. It's they can't absurd. leave, but it's not a prison. Right? Yeah, it's absurd optics, and it's it's like, look, the problem for everybody is the same. But this this just stupid word game thing to pretend as though somehow the problem is being handled by people that are more empathetic. I mean, maybe they're more empathetic, but they still say at the end of the day, you know, we're a nation of laws. So therefore, you know, X, Y, Z. Well, and if he was really empathetic. Why do do we have nations? Why do we have borders? What's it there for? Why why are we still building a border wall? Like what, what the fuck does it do other than, you know, fuck up the migration patterns of wildlife? You well, know. you know, we, we, we <laughs> it, did. America is a man-made island. You know, we, the capitalists came over here and they built this land from from scratch. There was nothing there. And they put down a bunch of, of foundation and then they built it. So then, therefore, they get to outline the uh, property line of what they built. It makes total sense. <laughs> I, I, I get it. I get it. You know, it makes total sense. Um, but no, I, um, fuck, I forgot the point I was going to make. Remember, uh, do you remember when they were, there was... Um, Vincente Fox, the former president of, of Mexico, was on some 
uh, radio station or something, and he was just laughing his fucking ass off. And he's like, do you, you realize, though, you're, you're spending all this money building the border wall. You realize, like, if we want to come to your country, we'll just buy a plane ticket. Right. <laughs> Which is how the vast you, majority of, of people who come here illegally yeah. uh, do that. Like, is yeah. they just, they just overstay their visas and then don't go overstay. back. Right. Exactly. And, you know, like, we have this, this you know, all these racist rednecks that are, think that, like, they're so dirt poor that, you know, they can't afford a plane ticket. Like, you know how much fucking cheap planes are to... In in Mexico, right, right, um, yeah, but like obviously there are people who are desperate and are very poor and are lined up seeking asylum at the border. So that's not that those that is not a real thing. But you know why are they there? Because for the last seventy years we've been destabilizing and toppling every government in Latin America and South America right. that's that's tried to provide people the means to not have to flee for their lives and not have to flee from right wing death squads. And actually have sustainable agriculture and a future and, you know, be in control of their own natural resources. Right. <clears throat> and I, I will say to her credit, um, she, uh, the, the, <laughs> the White House press secretary, acknowledged some of that, but wouldn't, like, assign any blame to it. Just saying, you know, like, these, these countries have been destabilized and for, you know, for this time we have to look at root causes. And it's like, ah, I wonder who... Who might have been behind that destabilization? <laughs> right. Well, she also like, had that clip that people dug up where she was asking about um, uh, if somebody asked her, and she was like, "Oh, well, America doesn't de- doesn't doesn't try to do coups in other nations." And they're like, so "How? Oh, do we yeah. have a long-standing guy, policy." Yeah, the guy literally stopped her and was like, "Are you kidding?" And like somebody <laughs> somebody cut the fucking curb your enthusiasm tubas to the end of it. Uh, that right. was hilarious. But again, yeah, ex- exactly. She's like, well, that was that was your father's CIA. That's not what we do nowadays, you know, <laughs> right, which is just, right. this is fucking absurd. I mean, we, we've we've had multiple coups in Latin America backed by uh, both Democrats and Republican administrations in the United States just in the last few years. We, you know, we had Bolivia. Uh, we had like, you know, one of like the last dozenth coups of Haiti. Um, you had Hillary Clinton backing the right-wing coup in Honduras when she was Secretary of State. This is the shit happens all the time. There is no right. history here that's not being continued. They, they're just not as good at it anymore because everyone's on social media. You know, like when, when Juan Guaido uh, is standing there next to the airport saying, we've taken over the airport, and like literally there's just planes flying back and forth behind him like nothing's changed. And it's like, what? Right. You, you know we can see you right now, right? <laughs> you're not just on radio, you're on video. Like you haven't actually successfully waged a coup. <laughs> I actually... I have that clip, yeah. by the way, of Pisaki. I want to play that. It's from, I think it's from a few years ago, but she was, uh, you know, already in the in the kind of spin business um, at, at this point. So I just want to play. Democracy Now actually dug this up. What is your mm. response? Maduro last night went on the air and said that they had arrested multiple people who were allegedly behind a coup that was backed by the United States. What is your response? Uh, These latest accusations, like all previous such accusations, are ludicrous. As a matter of longstanding policy, the United States does not support political transitions by non-constitutional means. Political transitions must be democratic, constitutional, peaceful, and legal. The U.S. has has a Mm -hmm. longstanding practice of not promoting, what did you say? How longstanding is that? In particular, in South and Latin America, that is not a longstanding practice. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> while that's playing, you just have her look of like, come on, man. Like, it's just, I'm just trying yeah, to camera, do my job. camera like zooms in on her freeze frames. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you can tell she, she's the thing I like about her is is she's not a very good liar. And you can you can read her really well when she's saying something that she doesn't believe personally. Right, because right, like, she Ari says Fleischer, it with no conviction whatsoever. Ari Fleischer could just like throw lies back and forth. He didn't give a fuck. Right, and and they've picked this woman that has like a, a sh- tiny shred of empathy, and you can tell when she's uncomfortable saying certain things, which which I, I, right. I, makes it way more interesting to watch her when she starts like kind of squirming her way through something. It's- very obvious she's reading a prepared <laughs> statement versus just telling you what she believes yeah. to be the truth. Her, at, her at tone times, for totally sure. shifts. Absolutely. Right. Versus um, Jay Carney, who was a great fucking liar uh, and now is like on the board of Amazon, like work, works to like repair their fucking public image. I was Obama's first, I think, or one of his one of his main press secretaries. I think his longest running press secretary, Jay Carney. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we'll see how long she lasts. I, I mean, th- these people have a way of getting really fucking tired of, of the job after only a couple of years. Right. Um, now, what's her name? Sanders. Trump's. Uh, the what, what was her first name? Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. Mike Huckabee's uh, daughter. Yeah. I think she she loved that job just out of contempt for a free press, but also like she only went out there like once a month. So she never right, had right. to work. <laughs> he was like, I don't care. We have to do this fucking daily briefing. No, Sean no. Spicer is my favorite because he was just so bad and so like unprepared for any kind of follow-up question. Like he just would constantly sputter out, you know. Was he the kind of paunchy blonde guy with the glasses? Right, right. He was the guy who hid in the bushes that time, like from the from the reporters. When he was... Oh God. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, oh man. That yeah, guy. that's hilarious. I, I heard that clip and I was like, Does, this isn't she didn't really say that. Like that, you can't just. Like, what? <laughs> we have a long standing policy. Pol- pol- unreal. Uh, yeah, long standing since uh, what time is it? Eh, yeah. <laughs> um. So I tell you what, we do have a long standing policy of is wasting money. I uh, before we recorded this, we were on uh, a friend of ours' a podcast uh, that's going to be out uh, next weekend or this coming weekend so it's 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 in the works but we were talking about this much shared uh, Forbes article um about the F35 stealth fighter which everyone has known has been a, a fucking like a lemon Boondoggle. A very yeah. very expensive lemon for the air force forever but apparently the the air force kind of like finally admitted that fact um so the, the this Forbes article I wanted to read a little bit of because it's hilarious it's hilarious in the way it's written and like the the verbiage it uses here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the headline is just U.S. Air Force uh, just admitted F thirty five stealth fighter has failed, and it's it's sort of like a covert admission of failure because they are uh, like they want so they've spent one point nine trillion or one point seven trillion dollars, like the same amount as our stimulus money, which of course we'll never see. So I'm just gonna read this is. I'm, I didn't move anything around here except for like a couple words, uh, just for clarity. This is just like the first few paragraphs. Uh, the U.S. Air Force's top officer wants the service to develop an affordable, lightweight fighter to replace hundreds of Cold War vintage F-16s and complement a small fleet of sophisticated but costly and unreliable stealth fighters. The result would be a mix of a, a expensive fifth-generation F-22s and F-35s and inexpensive fifth-generation minus jets, whatever that means, explained Air Force Chief of Staff General Charles Brown Jr. 
If that plan sounds familiar, it's because the Air Force, a generation ago, launched development of an affordable, lightweight fighter to replace hundreds of vintage Cold War F-16s and complement a small future fleet of sophisticated but costly and unreliable stealth fighters. (laughs) But over 20 years of R&D, that lightweight replacement fighter got heavier and more expensive as the Air Force and lead contractor Lockheed Martin packed it with more and more new technology. Yes, we're talking about the F-35. The 25-ton stealth warplane has become the very problem it was supposed to solve. And now America needs a new fighter to solve that F-35 problem, officials said. With a sticker price of around $100 million per plane, including the engine, the F-35 is expensive. While stealthy and brimming with high-tech sensors, it's also maintenance-intensive, buggy, and unreliable. Dan Ward, a former Air Force program manager and author of popular business books, said, The F-35 is not an affordable, lightweight fighter. (laughs) Gee, thank you. I'm reading... This is like a fucking Monty Python sketch. Like, what did we set out to spend $2 trillion on? Uh, An affordable, lightweight fighter. What did we do? Not that. (laughs) What did we set out to do? Uh, waste $2 trillion making something that is neither thing that we wanted to achieve. Well done, lads. Now let's do it again. <laughs> like, uh, so Monty Python. God damn. You know, and, and uh, again, they, they, they know all, like, they, they have to say all this shit in the media and it sounds ridiculous. This is all a fucking way to funnel money into these companies. They know this shit doesn't work. They just... They, it's just, oh, yeah, no, I'm gonna, don't worry, it's gonna work. It's totally gonna work. I'm gonna just, just keep giving us money. We'll make it work. Oh, shit. You know what? It's, it's 20 years outdated. It doesn't work. We gotta just start a new one. So, you know, but give us another $2 trillion. Like, it's just, this is the way these companies stay right. in business because when you don't have actual wars to fight, you manufacture wars and you manufacture. Right. This is why we're reasons. always saber rattling with Iran and China and why we have to. Remember when we had to send an aircraft carrier to like, you know, float around outside China to threaten them. Right. And it was so important that we go do that, that we didn't give a shit about COVID. And this fucking uh, uh, nuclear uh, aircraft carrier captain threw away his career to basically sacrifice, you know, sacrifice his career to say, no, I'm putting it into port and I'm not going to China and I'm getting half these sailors off this ship because we got a COVID outbreak. Right. And he, like, de- defied his orders and, like, wrote this letter and made it public and everything. And, you know, to become a nuclear um, a nuclear naval vessel captain, you, you have to climb the ranks of the thing. And then you have to go back to, back to college for four years to study, uh, like, nuclear physics. <laughs> so, like, right. and he had only just finished doing that, too. Like, he just came out of that four years and started this captainship. So that's, you know, and he even said in the letter, like, we're not at war. Why do we need to go to China? For what purpose? Right. <laughs> so uh, I, I just love that that guy was like, you know what? You know what's really stupid? The military. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, you're right. And, and he got it. He got like this huge uh, standing ovation <laughs> by his crew when he left his ship for the last time, too. So, like, again, expect to see that made into a movie someday. Right. For Starring sure. Tom Hanks. <laughs> Taking away all the wrong lessons, I'm sure. But, but yes. <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. It's just, it's just, but this is, again, just, you know, <laughs> this is why we can't have healthcare. This is why we can't, t- because all the fucking money, the fake money that the government prints gets funneled into 
um, bullshit, like the F-35, which we've never used in any kind of major combat and cost $1.9 trillion, which is an unfathomable amount of money. Like, it, yeah. it's just, well, you know. Ho- hopefully Top Gun 2 comes out and gets into theaters soon so we can... Uh, you know, rekindle that love for uh, for aviation, as Tom Hanks likes to say. Right, right. I love how like Tom Hanks always likes to pretend it's all about the aviation and not the you know blatant militarism and you know slightly closeted uh, homoerotic vibes going on there. Right, um, Tom Cruise, not Tom Hanks in that case. Yeah, Tom. What did I fuck up? I, I think well because we were just talking about Tom Hanks playing the yeah, Tom yeah, Hanks. So. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tom Hanks has definitely done his share of, of right, you know, right. false hero narrative pro-war movies right. that everyone said. You know, I, I don't know. We've probably talked about this before, but there was that, that um, this guy did a great hour-long photo or uh, video essay about, you know, the, the myth of the hero narrative ruining every anti-war film and making it still be a pro-war right. uh, movie, essentially. And, like, they literally, he, he listed maybe, like, five movies that are actually anti-war and all the rest of them are still pro-war movies, even though the director is set out to make an anti-war film. They just they can't commit to it. They're like, oh, well, someone has to be the hero, otherwise this is fucking depressing. Right. It's like, no. <laughs> like, like that's one of the things I like about Dunkirk is that there really is there's almost there's only a tiny little bit of heroism, and it's not portrayed as heroism. It it's like one guy shoots down one plane and that's like mm-hmm. the best you get out of the whole thing and of course it's you know it's tom hardy so you're like yeah it's fucking great uh but the whole rest of the thing it's just people dying needless deaths which right. is really what war is you know it's people dying needless deaths so that lockheed martin can make a trillion dollars building a plane that doesn't work right right exactly <sighs> All right. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here this week? Because I think yeah, there was one other little the... thing here. Oh, yeah. um, there was a so my least favorite people in the world are guys that got like uh, like tech industry jobs in San Francisco, and you know are typically anti union. Now that's starting to shift with you know the workers at Google trying to unionize, but like they're still fucking bougie douchebags of right. like the nth degree. And somebody tweeted out how. Um, Apparently, Kamala Harris had a condo in San Francisco, bought it for $489,000, and she recently sold that apartment for $799,000, a 63% increase, um, let's see, or a 4.2 annualized return, which I don't even know what that means. And this guy from San Francisco (laughs) tweets out, I like how people outside San Francisco think this is a sign of corruption. But people in San Francisco are like, wow, she sold it so cheaply. <laughs> and this guy who f- actually follows me for my like bicycle and transit type stuff, uh, his name is Lost in Cal Translation. Because Caltran is like the name of California's transportation authority. authority. So, right. yeah, so he's clever and his, his handle is Lost in Cal Translation. He replied to that tweet going, yeah, what? That's crazy cheap. And he wasn't kidding. Like, he wasn't being <laughs> ironic. Right. And these are all guys that want to like basically tear down the whole city and build like skyscrapers. And they're convinced that like, well, if you just build enough luxury housing, you know, luxury market rate condos, then the price will fall down because supply sure. and demand, it, which is, of course, not how any of that works. Right. Because there's and, no empty, empty multi-million dollar apartments in any major cities. Right. Like they, right. All, they all get filled. Yeah. Right. And so and 
then someone, the guy who tweeted that originally, I can't believe, or uh, you know, only people outside of San Francisco would think that's a lot, uh, not a lot of money. And he says the lesson here is that that's the listing price, not the actual price, because you know, like, you know, well, it won't, you know, basically they were saying like it'll actually be more than that because that's such a hot buy that that whoever you makes the initial that, offer will, make bids, will over, right? right they'll they'll want to get in there, so they're going to want to offer more. But again, he's sort of they're, they're sort of giving away the the real story, which is like the actual price and the listing price have nothing to do with each other, right? Right. And so, let's see. Oh, one guy replied here. Only one on the market on the seventeenth, and currently has a pending offer. So we won't find out until closing in a little bit. But given it had a, a pending offer, basically on the first day, I bet it goes over listing. So I. I replied to all these guys. I said, at least y'all can admit market housing is a, is a speculative monopoly totally divorced from any contrivance of supply and demand. <laughs> and right. the guy, this guy lost in Cal translation replies to me, I'm not even sure what that means. <laughs> right, right. That's so thank you for uh, making our uh, point. <laughs> again, this is, this is when people that actually know how markets work, pretend as though they don't. They, right. they like invert, they, they're like, well, that's, so I replied to him. I said, look, if you're smart enough to understand how credit default swaps crashed the housing market in 2008, then you're smart enough to know why no apartment is actually worth half a million dollars. And that's it right there. Like, you're, right. you know, I'm, if, if an apartment can, it's like, th- just think about this. Like, unless the vacancy rate of your city is zero, there's still empty units Right, so it doesn't matter if the vacancy rate is ten percent or five percent. There's still empty units in that building, so there's no waiting list to get into an apartment in a city that has a three percent vacancy rate. There's still always somewhere to, right? But they pretend as though it, somehow as that vacancy rate narrows, oh, the market's heating up, so we can get a, get away with jacking it up higher. That's called speculation. You fucking idiots. You fucking right. yimby urbanists. That's what I'm talking about. It has nothing to do with the actual supply and demand. It's about the perception of supply and demand, which is what they do to jack it up. Oh, the, this is a, a you know, a, everyone wants to live in San Francisco because it's a cool city and it's progressive and all that. But there's still thousands of empty units there. So how would building more change that? Right? It wouldn't. Because when they put in a new luxury building... They go, oh, well, now there's a new luxury building. Well, I'm right next to that, so I can jack my rent up too, because right. now now I'm right next to that luxury unit. So it just it doesn't lower the price. It's like a like a, it's like a tent pole. It lifts up everything with it around it, right? right? And if you if you talk to any like rental firms, how they figure out what they charge for rent, you know how they do it? They just call around to other apartments in the area, figure out the average, and then they jack theirs up five percent above that. So right. that is where it becomes a monopoly. So when I say it's a speculative monopoly and these people go, I don't know what that means, now you fucking do. Now you do. And and it's hilarious when they admit that it's a speculative monopoly when they say things like, oh, it's going to be, they're going to have a higher offer. Well, if, if it's supply and demand, then it should be whatever the market dictates. You can't have a higher or lower offer because that's just the price. But of course, we know that's not really the price. The price is the maximum amount you think you can get. Right. And that is not supply and demand. That is speculation. Was, that is if, price gouging. Right. And if it was supply and demand, you would be able. What an apartment would cost would be tied to what the minimum wage in this country is, because the minimum wage in this country was designed 
to be the minimum amount of money one person needs to make to support a family, which is why you used to be able to buy a fucking house in the 60s and in the 50s on your, you know, on your fucking one salary. Like, that's what the minimum wage exists for. Like, you would be able to, you know, work 40 hours a week at minimum wage and fucking afford to live and not be homeless. Like, which is just... Again, you know, I don't understand how people work in, in, in service jobs in San Francisco. Like, I really don't. They have to, like, it, it's just so insane to imagine making. <laughs> this even... has been a problem for a while now. The, right. the first time I started to read about this, this problem was, you know, in Silicon Valley uh, back in the 90s. You know, back when I was a teenager and everyone's, like, you know, getting stoned and playing video games, I was reading articles about. Uh, you know, gentrification in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, on the other side of the country from where I grew up. I was like, oh, this is interesting, housing policy. And even by the mid-90s with the, you know, the first internet tech boom, right? firefighters and police and teachers and, and postal carriers couldn't afford to live there anymore. And those are considered to be like professions too. I mean, right. not people, like, don't, res- people don't think about the post office as a profession that much anymore, but it's still, it's like you get a union job at the post office, like you're going to be there a while. Yeah. That's your career. And- People should know, by the way, if they're looking for work and if you can get it's a hard job to get, but the postal union's very good and they I think they start like like federally, their their lowest salary is like seventeen something an hour. And it gets higher in like, you know, higher cost of living states. So it's really mm-hmm. not a bad job at all to get. Um, no. until, until they finally privatize and decimate it. Yeah. I saw, well, I saw the shape of it. I didn't read the article. Are they electric or what's, what's the deal with them? No, it's just, they have a, like a, a low hood. Like everything nowadays is like the hood is six feet high cause it's a fucking <laughs> Ram truck and you gotta, you know, weaponize your wheels right. or whatever. And so the hood is really low. So it's safer. It doesn't need to go fast. And the, the windshield is fucking huge. So you can see everything around you. It's really huh. safe. Um, it's it looks like the like a front of a bus almost. The biggest issue with those is they don't. And again, I I applied to be a postal worker, so I I, I learned about all this shit. I, I hope the new ones do, but the old ones don't have backup cameras. They have a series of mirrors that are are supposedly so advanced that you could see the back of the of the postal truck with this like mm-hmm. series of mirrors. But I, I hope that that's one of the in- innovations they just give them fucking backup cameras and like air conditioning. Cause they also don't have air conditioning or heat in postal trucks. Um, it, yeah. And when you're delivering insane. things like through the window, you know, like driving right. on the, the right side instead of the left, like that's kind of a, a thing you might want to have is some temperature control. Right. So. Well, that's the problem. They're like, Oh, well it's not cost effective because you have to keep the door open. Yeah. But like give them fucking something for when they're, you know, like, well, these, these apparently have a little hole in the window. Like it's a plexiglass window and you stick your arm through. So oh, that, okay. Yeah. Well, maybe that'll be a little better. <laughs> what if, we, what if we, instead of heating and cooling, you just put a hole in it. <laughs> and you know who else fucking you, right. Where UPS doesn't give their fucking drive and they have to drive longer distances between houses. So there's no excuse to not give them climate control in their fucking trucks. They're just being cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you want to have a climate controlled truck when you're parked in the bike lane, uh, 90% of the time anyway. <laughs> right, so, right, right. That's all another, but, which is a thing the post office does not do that. Amazon and UPS exclusively does. Even when there's right. like fucking, you could just pull over, I bitch about this too much. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's a it just it's a cute little truck. That's all I was trying to really get right, to. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, so this, all the fucking urbanists. I hate urbanists so much, and, and I'm a lover of cities. I just hate right. the people who are like you know 
The, there's, a, there's a weird conflict we have here in Chicago uh, between people that are uh, very for housing justice and anti-gentrification and people that are also preservationists working together. We, we've had some success there because, um, you know, the, the people who are trying to, you know, rapidly gentrify the city uh, are trying to tear down historic brick buildings that are, you know, we call two-flat or three-flat apartments. Typically, you, you could have, you know, multiple families living in one little stone uh, brick house and they're tearing them down and building just basically like a giant concrete and glass mansion you know same right. size building but now there's only just like a couple living there right so not only are, are housing justice people outraged by that but the preservationists are outraged because you're tearing down historic you know the the the, the fabric of of chicago so that we got a um last year um we got a, a ban on what we call deconversions put in, where you're, you can't tear down a building, developer can't tear down a building and replace it with another building if it is going to have a lower occupancy, mm-hmm. basically, which, which was happening like, but like dozens of buildings just in one neighborhood, this was happening. Right. You know, out of, a, a, and the, so the, the population of the neighborhood was going down as there's just literally less places to live. So all the people that are like, oh, but we need more density because of climate change. Well, guess what? We're decreasing density when we tear down a multifamily apartment and replace it with a single-family mansion. Right. It's almost like none of these things should be left to profit because it literally disincentivizes any kind of sustainable or decent behavior from anybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the main authors uh, of that resolution that passed City Hall were the um, – the five or six uh, actual socialist aldermen we have here in the city. Right. So the, the people who are really fighting for, for good housing policy, surprise, it's the socialists. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that that does it for us this week. Um, uh, yeah. But if you want to help out the show, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple podcasts, uh, follow us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash move left, uh, facebook.com slash move left idiots. Uh, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash move left merch available at tinyurl.com slash move left pod. Uh, I am on Twitter at move underscore left. The show is on Twitter at move left pod. That's my cue. Sorry. <laughs> and I am as always on Twitter at bike slutty. Yep. We'll see you next week.
somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better time than now? Oh, hell! Can't stop us now!